68% of millennial employees and 81% of Gen Z employees left their jobs between 2020 and 2022 due to mental health reasons that were exacerbated by overwhelming and unsustainable work. Welcome to Freedom Matters, where we explore the intersection of technology, productivity, and digital well-being. I'm your host, Georgie Powell, and each episode we'll be talking to experts in productivity and digital wellness. We'll be sharing their experiences on how to take back control of technology. We hope you leave feeling inspired, so let's get to it. This week, I'm in conversation with Tyler Rice, who is co-founder and chief operating officer of the Digital Wellness Institute. As a leading digital wellness innovator, Tyler's work focuses on designing new tools, training and data measurements that drive awareness of the importance of digital well-being for enterprise clients. Today, we'll be discussing workplace well-being and how to create a culture where digital well-being can flourish. We explore investment in well-being and why this hasn't paid off and touch on the implications of generative AI for the way we work. If you want to learn more about the Digital Wellbeing Institute and support us and them on Digital Wellness Day on the 5th of May by joining our free virtual co-working session powered by Cave Day, look out on Freedom Socials to find out more. Until then, we hope you enjoy this episode. Tyler, welcome to the Freedom Matters podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's really great to speak to you. Of course, it's so nice to be here. Thanks so much for having me. And we wanted to connect because the work that the Digital Wellness Institute's been doing around understanding team digital well-being, I think is really fascinating. Perhaps you could start by giving us a bit of an overview of what the Digital Wellness Institute is and what your main focuses are currently in terms of trying to get as many people as possible to be digitally well. Yeah, absolutely. So the Digital Wellness Institute is the leading research, training and education organization in the world that's focused on helping individuals have a healthier relationship with technology. So we use what's called the digital flourishing model, which is a scientifically validated approach to helping people find that balance and find a state that we term digital flourishing. Now, when we're thinking about this, it's not a anti-technology approach, right? We're not saying that people need to spend less time on screens necessarily. What we're saying is that we need to empower individuals to recognize when tech is aligned with their best interests and ultimately when technology is actually harming them and leading to a place of physical, emotional, mental, or societal dysregulation. So that's what we do. Our goal is to impact the lives of 100 million people in the next five years, and we are well on our way towards achieving that goal. Amazing. So how are you mainly going about that? We are approaching that through three different lenses. The first is through our work with companies, organizations, and we're working with them to really identify blind spots within their organization. That is the impact that the lack of digital wellness is having on their workforce. So if you think about it, since the shift to remote and hybrid work since 2020, our screen time has actually increased on average five hours per person per day. So we no longer have those boundaries like we used to have, those natural stopping points or those natural boundaries between work and life. And as a result, people are feeling a lot of digital overwhelm, a lot of burnout, a lot of anxiety, etc. Mm-hmm. Also working on it with universities and thinking about how we can empower their students to have a mindset of digital flourishing. When you think about a lot of the public awareness campaigns that are going on related to positive mental health or even positive, positive physical health, it starts with educating the youngest generation, right? So we're basing our approach off of those awareness campaigns related to, let's just say, smoking cessation or alcohol abuse awareness, right? Um, 
So what we're really doing is bringing that model, the digital flourishing model, to students and universities just to help them really understand how is technology either helping or hurting me and how can I realign this technology with my intentions and the goals. And then the third way, Georgie, is just by individuals, right? Mm -hmm. We're certifying educators, those who are really passionate about bringing digital wellness to more people. And we've got a 10-week certification program for leaders to really have that knowledge, to have that awareness and the ability to share that with more people, be it clients of their own or their internal teams and families. Yeah, no, it's amazing. You've got educators around the world now, I believe. That's right. We've got over 450 certified educators from 36 different countries. It's amazing. I wanted to focus our conversation on the work that the Digital Wellness Institute is currently doing with teams. Their recent white paper, which will be published shortly, highlights how most companies now realise that all aspects of well-being need to be supported in the workplace. However, significant investments in well-being programmes over the past few years have actually correlated with a rise in the belief that companies don't sufficiently care about their employee well-being. The current investments in workplace well-being just aren't paying off. Yeah, well, it's a fascinating trend, and I'm so glad you mentioned it. The trend you're mentioning is from a Gallup survey in 2022, and what it looks like is employees' perceptions of their organization caring about their well-being. And what it measures from 2010 all the way to 2022, and from 2011, let's say, to 2019, there's a very general kind of sloping increase. Yes, people are thinking that their companies care more about their well-being, and that generally reflects investments in employer wellness programs. But At the time of the pandemic, we saw a huge increase from about 29% to 49% of people strongly agreeing that their organization cares about their well-being. And this, again, reflects the the vast amounts of money that was redistributed to employee wellness programs during the pandemic when everything was in upheaval and tumult and individuals were really thinking about what does it mean to to live a life of well-being and balance in this hybrid, in this remote work setting. Then is when the trend line gets a little interesting because employer wellness budgets have continued to increase. And yet, since 2020, in the last two years, the perceptions of the organization caring about their well being have declined to 24%, about where they were at in 2013. And I'm looking at that trend line, and at the Institute, we're looking at that trend line and we're thinking, why is this the case, right? When employer wellness spend has gone up, why are employees feeling like their employers aren't caring about them? And that's where we found what we term the missing mark. When we live in this digital and remote first environment, it's great that our companies are providing us opportunities to meditate through Headspace or Calm. Or frankly, it's awesome that I might get a stipend for gym membership by my house. But at the end of the day, if I I, as a virtual or hybrid or remote first employee, am expected to be on nearly 24-7 and I don't have that separation of work and life. And frankly, my own digital usage habits are dysregulated because of the need to be always on at work. I, as an employee, am not satisfied. I am feeling burnt out. I am feeling mentally unwell. We've heard of the term, the great resignation, right? We've obviously all heard of Zoom fatigue, digital overwhelm. And what we're noticing is that employees are really taking a stand and they're saying, hey, I want to work in an environment, in a virtual or remote or even in-person workplace that actually respects my right to digital well-being, that respects my life away from the screen and away from work. And frankly, we've seen this also in in younger employees. 68% of millennial employees and 81% of Gen Z employees 
left their jobs between 2020 and 2022 due to mental health reasons that were exacerbated by overwhelming and unsustainable work. And again, we look at that and we're saying, frankly, that unsustainable and that overwhelming work is often coming from that feeling like you can't disconnect at the end of the day and you need to be always behind screen. How are you seeing companies reacting and waking up to this? It's been a couple of years now of them, as you say, really over like heavily investing in well-being, but not seeing the results. In fact, they're seeing more and more problems amongst their staff in terms of how well they are and how easy they are to retain. So are more companies becoming aware of these issues, do you think? What's the pulse check on awareness around digital wellness? Such a great question. I think every individual, every organization feels this as an issue. Now, whether or not they have the verbiage to to name it is a different story, right? And I often tell people, I think digital wellness as a topic is almost where mental health as a topic was maybe 25 years ago, where it was emerging, people recognized it, but digital wellness is right there on that precipice, right? Organizations are recognizing that what we're doing and how we're living and how we're working is not sustainable, right? We all feel what it, we all know what it feels like to have Zoom fatigue or to feel digitally overwhelmed. And a few leading companies right now are actually reorienting their traditional pillars of employee wellness to actually introduce digital wellness as an aspect of total employee wellness. And I predict that in five, 10 years, digital wellness will be a core component of all employee well-being programs. Yeah, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's not just about the well-being program that you plug into an organization. It's actually the nuts and bolts of how an organization operates. So you've got to go through fundamental changes in culture in order to be a digitally well organization. How difficult do you think it is for many organizations to unpick the matrix of communication and presenteeism and the busy mindset that kind of needs to be undone in order for digital wellness to survive? Yeah, that's such a good question. What I always say is that organizations need to take a top-down and a bottom-up approach. So when we think about digital wellness in the workplace, you're absolutely right. Like an individual cannot lead a life of digital wellness or digital flourishing if their organization demands constant connectivity. And on the flip side, right, the culture is not incumbent upon the individuals to change, right? It needs to be from the top down. So right now what we're working on actually is a tool and we've just launched it. It's an employee sentiment tool that gets to the heart of a workplace's digital culture. So what it does is it measures the extent to which employees are feeling overwhelmed, feeling anxious, feeling the need to be constantly connected or always on. And it actually asks them to freely give how much time that they say that they're spending on screen each day related to work. And then even within that, time, how much time are they spending unrelated to work? And we're ultimately compiling this information along with some NPS data to show companies and show organizations how big of a pain point this actually is. So when you ask how hard it is to measure, it's becoming increasingly easy with the right tools, but it, it needs to be a leadership decision. And I think that's the most important part. Digital wellness itself is not an employee wellness strategy. It is actually a strategic uh, operational imperative for organizations if they want to lower attrition, if they want to really impact the rates of mental health in their organization, if they want to improve productivity during the workday, especially for virtual and remote employees. So again, it's becoming increasingly easy. We developed a tool to make it even more and ultimately showing that data to allow for organizations at the top um, to really make those top down decisions about why this is an, an important strategy to return ROI for the company. 
So say they've gone through that process and they've used your assessment tool and they've recognized they're an organization that definitely has problems when it comes to digital well-being. Mm-hmm. What are the steps? How does a company start to think about turning themselves around so that they yeah, just reorientate towards a better relationship with technology throughout the whole culture and the whole organization? Yeah, I think the first step is actually to segment and understand where in the organization is there the greatest need. If an organization has multiple different departments, or even if they have remote or fully remote or hybrid or fully in-person employees, right? We want to look at where is there the greatest need. Um, We look at things like age demographics. We look at location. We look at all of that to define, okay, if we were to deploy a custom set of interventions, where would it make sense to bring this first. And once we've determined that, what we really look at is a couple things. We look at education, we look at empowerment, and we look at outreach. So from an education perspective, we deploy e-learnings on each of the eight dimensions of digital flourishing. Empowerment and outreach really comes twofold. So we're really looking at deploying custom suite and what we call momentum events to really inspire change and buy-in from the leadership level. So we're thinking about keynotes, we're thinking about communication charter workshops, policy reviews with HR to enshrine the right to disconnect, even if it's as simple as the right to disconnect on vacation. You'd be surprised, Georgie, how many employees feel like they can't even turn off from emails on their personal vacation days. So we're really looking at those momentum events to create that cultural shift. And then again, using those e-learnings to to inspire change from the bottom up. And see how the consulting you do is really important in kind of supporting the change. But what do you generally find are the most important steps that an organization has to make? What do they need to change within an organization? And yeah, I know that's a yeah. general question and every organization is going to be different, but what do you see generally kind of where the biggest issues lie and, what, and some of the things that are lacking that companies need to start implementing or changing? More often than not, what we see is that it needs to come from leadership, right? And what we need to do is we actually have to have leaders that are accountable and vulnerable and talk about their own need for digital balance. Because I guarantee you, your leaders within any organization knows what it is like to be digitally unwell. They may see that themselves in their own work profession or their own personal digital usage habits, or they may have a child or a loved one who they think might need some digital wellness in their lives. But frankly, inspiring those conversations and having a vulnerable, open dialogue from leadership actually inspires employees to think about this and creates what we call a permission culture. And that means if my leaders inspire me and say, hey, Tyler, come 5 p.m. on weekdays, I need to go pick up my kids from school or I love to go for a walk through through the forest at that time. Please, like I can't have any sort of communications. I can't have any pings. I can't have any Slack messages. I prefer not to get emails from that time on. Let's really truncate our workday. Let's be uber productive during the eight hours where we mutually agree upon that we're on. And then afterwards, hey, you can work, but let's schedule send for the next day so it shows up in my inbox at that time. So I feel like I don't need to go away from what is bringing me joy in that present moment and I can actually just disconnect. Okay, cool. I can definitely see how having strong leadership role models is really important. On the policies, how have you seen policies actually created and enforced within a workplace around good digital habits? 
We're in a nascent phase currently when it comes to digital wellness policies in the workplace. And a lot of it's actually being introduced from governments, right? And we're thinking about the right to disconnect federal policies that we're seeing in places like France, used in parts of Canada, and numerous other countries. So when we're thinking about policies, we're really thinking about how can we craft policies that are going to be in accordance with these pieces of federal legislation moving forward? Because Georgie, what's going to happen is we're going to see a lawsuit here in the next, let's call it next three to five years, where an employee actually sues their company for not being in accordance with federal regulations regarding their right to disconnect. And so it's time for companies to get ahead of the game, right? They really need to work with their HR teams. They need to work with outside consultants and experts to craft policies in accordance with that legislation. As a side note, I just heard about the state education bodies in the US who are suing social media companies for creating unteachable children. Have you heard about this? Incredible. Yes. It is. And it's frightening, right? It's frightening. But if you think about it, we're really at an inflection point here. And this student mental health and student, I would say, cognitive health epidemic is really at, is at a, a breaking point, right? We need to teach individuals and we need to teach students how they can reclaim elements of their time, elements of their attention that have been lost in this digital age. And we need to hold those accountable for for it. So I expect to see additional lawsuits like this. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Where does the buck stop? Because you could also see the next step happening in the workplace where employers turn around and say, the problem doesn't lie with us, the problem lies with the technology. And if it wasn't so distracting, people would actually be able to focus during their work days and they'd be able to do in their work in eight hours and they'd go home. So yeah, it always feels like this hot potato of whose responsibility really is it? Is it the user? Is it the organization? Is it the tech companies? Is it the regulators? Who's going to get us out of this sticky mess? Yeah, yeah. And I have to say, I think that's that's another thing that I think freedom specifically does so well in that it it provides individuals those tools and companies with those tools to help individuals self-regulate, right? Without the regulation from government or without the regulation from, let's say, HR, um, in some cases, it is incumbent upon teams and individuals. And I think what I'm seeing is that individuals are seeing it not as a burden, but actually as an opportunity to increase their productivity, to get ahead, to, to reclaim, again, elements of their time, of their attention, of their cognitive functioning that others, frankly, aren't able or willing or even motivated to change. So providing individuals with those tools like Freedom is pretty incredible. I wanted to ask you quickly about what you think, or if you're having many conversations around the impact of generative AI on digital well-being and particularly Mm. in the workplace, if that's something you're starting to think about at the Digital Wellness Institute. Yeah, we are starting to think about that. And it's such a pertinent topic. I think what we're looking at in terms of generative AI is it actually harkens back to a question and a concern that people had maybe 10, 10 or so years ago when robotics were being introduced into, into a lot of factories, right? People had concerns, are these robots going to steal my jobs? And what we found is that that concern peaked at that point in kind of 2012, 2014. And now we're seeing that again, right? People are very concerned. Is AI going to take my job? And I think what we need to do is we need to take a step back. First, we need to recognize that any sort of technology that's created has an opportunity for disruption. And with that disruption, we have an opportunity to really eliminate some of the redundancies that might come in the workday. And when we eliminate those redundancies, it's incumbent upon us as those individuals to actually decide how do we want to use that time that has now been freed up, right? So if I'm an employee that instead of writing a press release for two hours, I can do it in two minutes, four minutes, that just freed up a whole lot of time in my day. 
And now it's incumbent upon me as an employee to figure out how am I going to add value? How am I going to use this time and reclaim this time to do something that's of value? I could sit on my phone, go through a Twitter death spiral, or I could actually pump out maybe 20 more (laughs) press releases. So I think it's important about shifting the mindset from one of fear to one of opportunity. And then it's also really incumbent upon us as individuals and and ultimately those decision makers within organizations to set policies to apply upward pressure on government officials to really apply a set of regulations and rules that are going to protect us as employees, as workers, as humans, our intellectual property, to protect our, our rights as workers, and to apply guardrails in this space because it is developing so rapidly. And I know the EU just proposed a set of rules of regulations that's going to essentially put different AI systems into buckets from the most at risk to the lowest risk. And we need to self-assess and think within our own organizations, how can we leverage AI in a way that's going to improve the human condition rather than harm it? And those discussions need to start now. Yeah. You've been working digital wellness for a while now. Why are you committed to digital wellbeing? Why do you think this is such an important thing for everybody to be thinking about? Yeah, so I started my work in the nation's or United States' largest for-profit healthcare insurance company. And like the data that we discussed earlier in, in this session, I was looking at um, claims data for mental health and noticing this incredible increase in mental health claims since, again, probably about 2010, 2012. And correlating that, again, with kind of the increased prevalence of smartphones, digital devices, etc. So I'm really motivated to improve mental health of individuals through digital wellness and through digital balance. And I think I'm most impacted by my time actually in Europe, spending a number of months living in, in, in Denmark and feeling a sense of community, even in the darkest of winter months, feeling that notion of Hugo, which is I think well talked about by now, but truly feeling that in-person community was such a stimulant, was such a driving force of my happiness, of my own well-being, of my own productivity. And then sensing when I came back to the States with without that community, it's so often so easy to find that or seek that in our screens. But for me personally, that wasn't it. That wasn't the same, didn't have the same impact or effect. So I'm really motivated to, again, increase mental health through promoting community, in-person, time together, and ultimately just leading to positive behavioral health outcomes. So timely because you're talking about New York and I've got this siren in the background. <laughs> it not be more of a New York soundtrack yeah <laughs> yeah that kind of built perfectly as you're talking about the transition from the hugger in 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 denmark to the loneliness of new york tyler thanks so much for being guest on the freedom matters podcast we're really glad to be friends with digital wellness institute the work you're doing is absolutely fantastic thank you thank you so much for your time of course thank you so much for having me keep up the great work thank you for joining us on freedom matters if you like what you hear then subscribe on your favorite platform and until next time We wish you happy, healthy and productive days.